Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from our Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Aviva Richman. Let's listen. Redemptive Relationship Part 3, Articulating Commitment. In the last few Parshiot, we have been exploring the Exodus as the story of how Israel and God fell in love, so to speak, through the lens of a Midrash on the Song of Songs. The first formative moment was when we were still in Egypt, teaching us about those crucial moments of care and presence, even while in the very midst of an oppressive context. Then we saw the reconciliation of children and parents at the Sea of Reeds, and how both generations discovered God and each other more deeply through their mutual relationships. The final scene to explore is Israel and God at Sinai, which our tradition depicts as a kind of wedding where we entered into Brit covenant. In this marriage metaphor, the Torah is an articulation of clear, specific commitments and obligations on both sides, analogous to a kind of ketubah or contract. While the use of this image is widespread, in fact, there are deeply divergent pictures of what this wedding actually looked like. Some traditions depict Israel blindly agreeing to the relationship with God, even, maybe even especially, without knowing the detailed nature of all the commitments involved. Others show Israel as being totally informed of the details of what was expected, signing on only afterwards. Exploring these two versions of Sinai allows us to surface the importance of informed affirmative consent between two active subjects as the bedrock of any relationship of intimacy, At the same time, it reminds us that in the closest and deepest relationships of our lives, we can never fully know what might be required of us. Built on the same verse from Song of Songs as the other two versions of our love story, the Midrash brings us to the tzel, the shadow, of Sinai. It relates that we blossomed like a lily with good deeds, likely the mitzvot of the Torah. Finally, instead of song, chavatzelet sharon instead of song, as in the previous scenes, we erupted in the statement of na'asev v'nishma, we will do and we will listen at Sinai. This statement is often understood as our willingness to accept the Torah even before we know what commitments it entails. Given the power dynamics of traditional marriage, the image this midrash may evoke is that of Israel as an idealized, loyal, and obedient bride. Other Midrashim and Shirashim Rabbah show Israel with a more active role. Another verse from later in the same chapter of Song of Songs is also interpreted through the Sinai experience. Yonati b'chagvei hasela, O my dove in the cranny of the rocks, hidden by the cliff, let me see your appearance, ha'ini et mar'aich, let me hear your voice, hashmi'ini et kolech. This verse, at first glance, evokes the bride as a passive object of desire and beauty, where the speaker, the male lover, admires his female lover's face. But when the Midrash applies it to Sinai, putting it in God's mouth, it transforms the female object of beauty to an active participant, one who sees, not just one who is seen. I'm going to quote a little bit of this. Rabbi Akiva interpreted the verse as applying to Israel when they stood before Mount Sinai. My dove in the cleft of the rock, because they were sheltered in the cover of Sinai. Let me see your appearance. As it says, and all the people saw the thunder. That is the thunder at Sinai. Let me hear your voice. This is the voice that was before the Ten Commandments. As it says, all that God said we will do and we will hear. 
In both the Song of Songs and Sinai, the sense of sight is central. The speaker is taken with the lover's appearance, mar'aich, and the Israelites saw the thunder, ro'im. But this same root for sight functions in a totally different way. At Sinai, the Israelites are not simply seen by God. They use their eyes to see God. By putting these two verses together, the Midrash changes the meaning of appearance from passive to active, where in the Song of Songs, God essentially says, let me see your seeing. In this reading, God doesn't want to gaze on the passive Israel's face, but to see them returning the gaze, so to speak, in the theophany at Sinai. The relationship between us and God is not, therefore, a unidirectional, objectifying gaze from the powerful male groom towards the passive female bride, but instead a mutual gaze between the two lovers. Yet, there is a dark side to this midrash. While initially it refers to Israel's gaze when God first appears at Sinai and the optimistic statement, we will do whatever this relationship involves, the midrash continues to refer to another act of sight and voice that takes place after God speaks at Sinai. There, Israel's sight and speech expresses fear and wanting to stay away from God. It is as though they didn't realize what they were getting into. And once they know more, they would rather step back then step into relationship with God. This is the version of Sinai where Israel, swept up in the romance of the moment, jumps into the relationship without knowing its terms and what will be required of them, and then experiences hesitation and fear. In a totally different version of Sinai, we see that God made sure Israel knew exactly what they were signing on to beforehand. A messenger went to every individual, sharing laws in the Torah in great detail, then asked explicitly for consent. Only after an individual consented to these details, the messenger asked explicitly, do you accept God? This model is one of informed affirmative consent, but certainly no less romantic. Coming to expound the verse, he kisses me from kisses of his mouth, Yishakeni minishikot pihu, in the Song of Songs. The scene ends with the messenger giving a kiss after the offer has been fully accepted, or, in another version, God's words themselves, the dibur, giving the kisses. The kisses of God's mouth are the words of mitzvot. Reviewing the details of these utterances about commitments and obligations doesn't kill the romance, but creates it. Imagine how this plays out if you map it onto the interpersonal. The idea is that before asking, will you marry me, we need to detail the commitments that entails and affirmatively consent. Yes, I will wash the dishes you leave in the sink. Yes, I will pay the bills you would forget to pay. The details of love are not taken for granted. It feels important to lift up the power of these two different models for intimate relationship and to be aware of the limits of each. The latter model, where one takes the time and attention to articulate all of the commitments involved in a given relationship, may feel more responsible. Falling blindly in love without any sense of what commitments it entails, on the other hand, can be naive and damaging. The rabbinic tradition that goes so far as to say that at Sinai we were coerced into accepting the Torah shows the extreme dangers of this model that is not at all interested in determining whether someone knows or wants what is actually involved in entering a relationship. On the other hand, the informed affirmative consent model also has its limits. In many of the deepest relationships in our lives, we could never know in advance what kinds of demands this relationship will make on us. Being able to articulate all of the terms of the contract may sound comforting and responsible, but it is not always and maybe not ever possible in the relationships that require our full and ongoing presence. We should take Sinai as a model for both. 
It is absolutely necessary to articulate all that we already know about the commitments that we expect or need. At the same time, we have to realize that making this kind of leap into close relationship involves demands and presence that are both prior to and beyond these delineations. Maybe the redemptive work in a relationship is the very act of attempting to articulate the commitments we need and can give, and also being ready and present for the unknown. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, we're going to close with a melody for the words from the Song of Songs. Ani yeshena v'libi er, I am sleeping but my heart is awake. Ani yeshena v'libi er, v'libi er, kododi dafek p'yegitri li. Ani yeshena v'libi of Tashma was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg and edited by Evan Feist. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It has been a pleasure to learn with you.